Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss the trend towards passive investing over the last 10 years, and we ask the question, are these flows distorting the market and some stocks more than others? For example, are the largest stocks in the market disproportionately benefiting from the inflows from passive? Or are value stocks underperforming as their weights get smaller or certain names are excluded from the major indices? This is a question on the mind of many smart investors, and we take a stab at talking about these trends and the implications for investors to be thinking about. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this discussion on the rise of passive investing. All right. Today, we're going to tackle the question of, um, is passive investing uh, distorting and influencing the markets in some way that might not be good? Um, or at least in the sense, is it driving up is it driving up valuations of certain, uh, of certain companies, um, maybe more than then uh, they, they should be, or is it maybe driving down the valuations of companies that maybe aren't in some of these passive um, related indexes? But to just set the stage, I think, before we um, sort of discuss this is you had, you wrote an article a few weeks ago kind of asking this question, and you had really two um, important charts in there that just kind of show how big passive investing has actually gotten relative to active investing. Um, and the first one showed basically the passive equity flows um, going back to 09 versus active equity. And what you see is, a, and we'll put the, 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 the charts in here, but you see it like a massive decline in active equity flows. And then you see this massive cumulative flow increase in uh, passive investing strategy. So that's one thing. The other chart that you had in there is um, uh, you had basically, the percentage of act of of AUM or assets under management in active strategies and the percentage in passive, and basically they're all, they're close to fifty percent. I mean, it used to be a lot lower than this, but over the last ten years, for a lot of different reasons, which I think we're going to discuss in a minute, you know, uh, passive investing has largely caught up to active investing. So uh, maybe Jack, to to hand it over to you, what are some of the things? that are driving this increase in um, money flowing into passive. Yeah, like you said, I mean, passive is probably something like 40, 45% of the market now. And that's obviously a huge, you know, increase from what it was, you know, just a decade ago. Um, and there's obviously a good reason for that. Um, you know, number one, active managers have done a pretty good, terrible job of trying to beat their benchmarks. And number two, passive vehicles are much less expensive. So those two things coming together obviously lead to a significant inflow into passive. And that's obviously a good thing. And the question here is, are there other effects that then become side effects of that as that money flows in, which maybe are, are less of a good thing? But we'll get into that in a second. But the, the first thing I think we want to do is set the stage for what's been causing this to happen. So there's been a few different things going on. One is obviously there's a, been a big increase in regular contributions to things like 401ks. And the way 401, and we won't get into it here, but the way 401ks are set up from a regulatory standpoint, there's an enormous incentive 
to have passive be the default option, to have passive options for people to put their money into. And so the vast majority of that 401k money that's flowing in, particularly from younger investors, is flowing into passive vehicles. Um, and the other thing that's happening is what we just talked about, which is active, active managers are being fired and replaced by passive. And, you know, most of them should be because they haven't produced returns above and beyond their fees. So that also is moving is causing a rotation from active to passive. And then the other thing to keep in mind is younger investors in general use passive vehicles for the vast, vast majority of their investments, whereas older investors use active vehicles more. And so what's happening is you get this rotation because younger investors are investing into the market. They're in the phase where they're putting money in right now, whereas older investors are in the phase where they're withdrawing. And so that tr that those two trends also lead to an increase in passive within the market. Right. And so that those trends can have, I think, two important uh, impacts on the market. One, they can drive up the overall valuation of the market. Um, so that's one thing. And we'll talk about that. Um, and then the other is it can impact the relative pricing within the market. So do you want to kind of right, discuss so first those two we'll, things? We'll mostly deal with the second one. But the first one is this does have the what happens when money flows into passive vehicles is it flows into the largest stocks. And as, as it continues to flow, those stocks go up more and it can it flows more and more into those largest stocks. And those largest stocks become a much bigger weight within the index. And I think we're seeing right now the largest stocks represent, you know, historically, this is one of the larger times in terms of how the percentage they represent of the overall market. And so that, that can just build upon itself and, and drive up the overall market, because as you drive up those large stocks, you also drive up the overall market. But the, the other thing, which I think was really interesting, and this comes from Mike Green's work, who a lot of this this data regarding the increase in passive and its impacts come from, comes from is most active managers hold a reasonable cash position. So most active managers say hold 5% in cash, whereas passive vehicles have almost zero cash. Um, you know, when we ran an ETF, we had almost no cash in there. So what happens is when money flows from these active managers to passive managers, you end up with a significant amount of money being deployed into the market that wasn't otherwise deployed into the market. And that has that has the ability to actually drive up the market a lot if you think about it. I mean, if you think about 5% of the money invested across all active funds, you know, in an extreme scenario, which obviously is not going to happen where everything goes to passive, that entire 5% or most of it gets invested into the market. And that has the ability to produce a, a significant you know, upward pressure on the market. So there's, there's the arguments that that basically summarizes the arguments that passive is impacting the overall market. It's driving up the overall market. And the only other point I would make there is the, the effects of all of this are not really linear. And what I mean by that is as active gets smaller and passive gets bigger, if you believe these effects are happening, the effects will get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so the next 10% could have a much bigger impact than the previous 10% did. So all of that is, you know, that's not to say any of this is actually happening. It's more, those are the arguments in favor that this could be driving up the market overall. Right. And then the second point, I guess the second impact was, you know, the relative pricing um, within the market itself. Right. And that, play, and that plays on the same thing we were talking about, which is as more and more money flows into these stocks that are going up more and more, you end up driving up the prices of those stocks relative to other stocks, relative to the stocks that have smaller weighting in the index, but also relative to the stocks that just aren't even in the index at all. You can argue that this will cause a continuation of a trend where the largest stocks keep getting bigger. Now, the flip side of that argument is 
these stocks that have become the biggest percentage of the market, the Googles and the Amazons and the Apples of the world, those are businesses that are doing really, really well. And so you can argue that those businesses deserve to be going up as much as they are, and they deserve to be you know, as, as large a percentage of the market as they are. And so there's no way to disentangle this. There's no way to say, here's how much of this is due to passive investing and how, here's how much of this is due to the businesses themselves. You know, in reality, almost all of it could be due to the business themselves, and this passive investing thing could be a minor impact. You, there's really no great way to figure that out. But th that's an argument against that this might be an impact of passive, but you are seeing in general, if passive was impacting the market, you are seeing the types of things you would see, which is these larger companies getting bigger and bigger. One of the things that you know comes up a lot is a lot of people tend to try to use the current um, environment we're in and compare it to like what happened in 2000 or 99, 2000, which is you had you know all these technology mostly companies, you know had these nosebleeds, crazy valuations, and then obviously when the air came out of that, you know the Nasdaq fell. I don't know how much it was, but by more than 50% and many of those companies um, you know, went out of business altogether. Now that to some extent actually sowed the seeds for some companies that survived like Amazon, the Amazons and Apples of the world that you know, are now some of the most successful, like you said, very, very, very successful, successful companies. But that is an important thing I think to remember is that a lot of these technology companies that are the largest companies in the market today they are really great businesses, high quality businesses, very solid balance sheets, cash flow generating machines. Um, but you know, they they are trading at valuations that you know, for the most part, people would think, if you're a fundamental investor at least, um, uh, you know, that would be considered expensive. And these companies need to continue to deliver on, uh, you know, generating good business and profitability. Um, if those valuations are going to keep um, and you know sustain at those levels, but that might relate to sort of the point of, and this is a quote you know that um, pretty much anybody that's read uh, anything about Benjamin Graham or even Warren Buffett knows that you know in the short run the market is a voting machine, but in the long run it's a weighing machine, which means that fundamentals matter the most over time, but in the short run obviously psychology and um, enthusiasm and things like that can drive stocks much more than fundamentals. But the point is, is that that voting machine maybe can happen for longer than people think. And so, you know, those are just sort of some things to sort of take into consideration when people are thinking about the current market environment versus what happened in 2000 to 2002. And then also that, you know, these, these trends can, can last longer than many might. Yeah, and flows are an example of the market being a voting machine, because if you think about it, I mean, what determines whether a stock goes up or down is who wants to buy it, what are the flows going into it, and what are the flows going out of it? And so in, in the short term, something like passive investing could, in the flows that are generated by that, you know, people are voting with their dollars and, and they can drive up certain stocks relative to certain other stocks. But, you know, you would think in the end, eventually, you'll, you'll have a situation where fundamentals will matter. And we'll talk about that a little bit, talk about that a little later in the podcast, but we don't know how long that's going to take. You know, that, that could take a very long time. And like, like you alluded to, the, the market could be a voting machine for a very long time here before it eventually becomes a weighing machine. You at one point tried to derive a uh, formula where you looked at like the liquidity of the stocks based on their volume and then tried to back into those companies that might be 
uh, influenced the most by these passive flows. Um, I, I don't think you, in the end, I don't think you sort of thought what, what you had done was like the most accurate, but it was a good thought experiment. So what, what, what did you exactly do there with that? Yeah, we've sort of left out the other part of the equation and what we've talked about so far, because the market cap weighting of the stocks and passive indexes, that's what's determining how much money is going into them. But then there's the other part of it, which is how much can they actually handle? And that's where liquidity comes in. Because if all these stocks could handle the money coming in relative to their market cap, then you probably wouldn't see a huge impact here. But if, if you're going to argue passive investing is having an impact, then you would expect the stocks that have the most flows in relation to their market cap coming in relative to their liquidity, those would be the ones that would do best. Now, now the hard part about that is measuring liquidity is really hard. And you know, I wrote that article a few years ago and I tried to measure liquidity by daily dollar volume and to say, you know, the, the stocks that had the most money coming in relative to the daily dollar volume, those should be the ones that are going up the most. And in my research found that that didn't work at all. And, and the reason is I think is I, was, I wasn't representing liquidity properly. I don't think daily dollar volume is, is probably a great measure of liquidity. And to give you an example, you know, when, when I applied my formula and I said, all right, what stock should passive investing be impacting the most? The answer was Berkshire Hathaway, because Berkshire Hathaway has the largest market cap relative to its volume. But Berkshire's volume doesn't really tell you anything about how much money it could accept in terms of trading. It just tells you how much actually traded on any given day. And I think that's the problem. I mean, no, no one would argue that the biggest beneficiary of of this passive wave has been Berkshire Hathaway. So my model was wrong, but I think there's people with more advanced models that look into like things like the order book that may be trying to do this and trying to figure out, you know, well, the S&P 500 benefits from this, but if I can identify the specific securities that benefit the most, I can have even better performance than the S&P 500. And so I think there's people out, out there trying to do that, but I think it's a difficult thing to do. Well, the other thing that we talked about, I thought was if you're making the argument that the companies at the very top of the S&P are benefiting from flows, then so should those companies that are sort of, or maybe, I don't, I don't know about this, but you know, the money gets distributed in the, in the index according to the weight of each constituent. So, you know, some stocks in the S&P are going down, some stocks are going up. Obviously the biggest ones are going up the most, or at least they have been more, more recently. So, um, but that might just be a function too of those are, you know, included in a lot of other, other, sort of portfolios and maybe not just uh, these passively weighted indices. See, this is why it's tough because you can kind of, when you think about it and try to get deeper into it, you can sort of start to see the arguments for maybe why it's not the case. But anyways, um, sort of moving on to this other point, which I think we talked about it with, uh, who, who did we talk about Sharps for Was it with Toby or I, I forget. With, uh, Corey Hostin. Corey Hostin, yeah. So, why don't you just real quickly um, give an overview of what the arithmetic is for sort of active and passive uh, equaling in the market? Yeah, well, well, what Sharpe's arithmetic says is that if the overall market obviously is the overall market, then if part of the market is active and part of the market is passive, and you know passive has to represent the overall market, then active also has to represent the overall market. And so, so what that means is in aggregate, there's really no difference between the holdings summed up of active and passive. Um, obviously, within there, there's managers within active that have very different weights, but overall, it has to sum up. And so some people make, you know, will say that as an argument as to why passive investing shouldn't be impacting anything. Because if money's flowing into active, active is the same thing as passive. But when you look behind the scenes, and that was the example Corey gave us, you can sort of understand 
why it could have an impact. And, and what it comes down to is, although the holdings between them may be the same, relative pricing can be changed by flows within there. And so Corey gave us the example of if you have three investors, one's a passive investor, one's a value investor, one's a growth investor. What happens if the value investor capitulates and decides, all right, I've had enough of this underperformance. I want to now use more of a growth-like portfolio. Well, in order to do that, the value investor has to buy, buy growth stocks and sell value stocks. The only other person in the market, passive, the passive person is doing nothing by, by their design. So the only other person in the market that's going to possibly you know, have those transactions with them is the growth investor. And so if they want to buy the growth portfolio, the growth investor is going to ask for more and more money. And if they want to sell the value portfolio, they're going to have to sell it at lower and lower prices to the growth investor. And so although Sharpe's arithmetic continues to hold in that example, what's happened is the relative pricing has changed and the growth type stocks have gone up and the value type stocks have gone down. And so if you aggregate that across a lot of participants in the market, you can sort of see an example of how this might be impacting what's going on in the market. Uh, yeah, good point. I think one of the sort of moving towards maybe the arguments uh, against this or what would happen if you, you know, if this is true and flows continue to go to passive and it continues to drive the companies most heavily weighted in these passive indices up higher and you get a um, divergence from what the fair values are of these companies, um, you know, both overvalued and undervalued, you know, you would expect active investors um, to hopefully be able to step in and correct that because if there is these real bargain uh, companies out there, stocks out there, um, based on the underlying businesses, you would hope that the active managers would be able to over time identify those and step in and basically correct that um, from, from happening. I mean, so that's one thing that, you know, a lot of people say is that, you know, eventually if there's such a divergence between the fair value, the fundamental value of these companies and their valuations that you would have, you know, active managers step in and right size that. Yeah, so there's two ways you can look at that. One is you can look at that is that's what active managers are doing right now. And so the reason, like we talked about before, the reason these companies have gone up so much is because their fundamentals are really good. And so if they, if this really was you know a divergence from their actual value, you would see you would see active managers stepping in to correct that. And so that would be the argument that there still are enough active managers, and that's what that's what's actually happening. Now the flip side would be as active has gotten smaller, you could argue, well, there aren't enough active managers to do this anymore. And so what happens is something like these passive flows can impact the market without active managers stepping in to correct the mispricing. And, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that, but th that is one thing you would expect, you know, in an efficient market with enough active management, you would expect if, if these prices get too far from what they should be, the active managers will step in and they'll correct them. Right. It's important to understand that these, these are businesses. And so businesses are valued based on their cash flows and businesses have things they can do if their value gets too far from what it should be. You know, other businesses can step in and they can buy them. Like you said, they can buy back their stock. 
they can pay a large dividend. I mean, the, some of these growth companies that have very high multiples could find value companies that have very low multiples that they have synergies with, and they could acquire those companies knowing that those earnings will have a higher multiple applied to them once they're underneath the growth company. So there's a lot of things that could happen if this gets too far, just on a company specific basis where the companies or acquirers could step in and correct it. It's funny, I, you know, when we had uh, John Rakenthal on from Morningstar, you know, we sort of asked him, you know, in terms of when you look out in, on the horizon, you know, do you see anything that might change, you know, this shift towards passive? And, and he couldn't uh, really see anything. And this is a guy with, you know, almost 30 years experience in the market who's seen the changes in the asset management business um, and the rise of passive. So it's it's hard to see sort of what knocks this down. Um, I mean, a, a long bear market would, of course, probably mean a lot of money would come out of passive, but it would also mean a lot of money would come out of active. And, you know, since the great financial crisis, actually, you've seen, like your chart shows, you've seen much more of a move towards passive. And so his point, I think, was, you know, active really needs to, for active to get back and sort of for the flows to start coming back into active, you know, you need to see like in a bear market, let's say, active really shining or protecting investors um, for that sort of, you know, change um, to happen. Um, so he couldn't, you know, he, he couldn't see what would drive it um, other than a real good boost from active management. And then to, to sort of uh, the other guy we had on was, was uh, Larry Cunningham, Lawrence Cunningham. And, you know, I think you asked him if he was concerned about the rise of passive and, and he gave his reasons um, why he was concerned. So, I mean, these are smart guys that um, know a lot about the market and history. And, you know, and I think this discussion is, is an interesting one. And it's going to be one that I think investors are going to be having for probably a long time because this is clearly a trend in the business. And, you know, who knows how it's going to end, good or bad. Um, ultimately, passive investing, it's really good because the fees are low. And it takes sort of this stock picking out of, you know, trying to pick a manager, trying to find the best strategy. I mean, passive investing is probably great for most investors. It's just, you know, there are these questions that are emerging from the rise of passive. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's, it's very hard to argue that this trend is going to stop. But what you, what you can argue is whether this is having an impact or not. And, and that's what we've, you know, we've tried to do, give a balanced take on that. I mean, to be honest, I have no idea. I mean, I've looked at the arguments on both sides of this, and I really have a hard time saying whether there's been an impact and whether that impact has been significant. I think there's really good arguments on both sides of it. So our, what we're trying to do here is just sort of outline the arguments, not to say we, we're in favor of them or we don't believe them. You know, I, I think that's a very, I think some of the smartest people in investing are wrestling with that right now. And, and I don't know that there's a great answer. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully you guys found this discussion on the rise of passive and the implications. Um, an interesting one. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi, guys. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at PracticalQuant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJCarbonell. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.